So I went to a smaller Bible because the last time I had a big Bible and it made the thing. So I'm going to go lightweight today. Um, great to be here. Great to talk about this next topic. It's about discipleship. Uh, this is probably one of the things that I love to do. I, I love to be a part of this. And so the first slide here, just show the image of the title. Hopefully it will be on the screen here in a second. But uh, it shows light bulbs. And the one light bulb is lit and the others are dark, but they're still there. The idea behind this is that we're supposed to be a light. And the other light bulbs are designed to be light too, but they may not work. They may not uh, function because they don't know they're a light bulb. Maybe we need to teach them that they are light bulbs. But anyhow, the idea is to bring light. And you, all of us, were created to shine for Christ. All of us were called to make disciples, I believe, to invest in others, to show other people the potential they have, to be a light as well. In our Sunday school class, we're actually talking about Philippians and Paul's impact he's made throughout history and how many lights that has he taught to live for Jesus as well. So as we get ready and as we dive into this, I wanna look at the first scripture we all go to when we talk about discipleship and it's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. And I'm gonna read this and if you'd like to look in your Bibles, uh, Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. I'll give you a second to go there. Also, we did the event thing in the Bible app, if you want to do that. It says in verse 19, it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. First thing, let's, let's just take this verse or this set of scriptures out, or look in a little bit more in depth. The first thing I want you to think about is go. And a lot of times we think in, you know, maybe it's like we have to go on a mission trip, and that, that's, I don't believe that's the heart of this. Not that going on a mission trip is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. That's actually a good thing. I've been on several, and they've been really good. Actually, I, I previously I was able to go to the Dominican Republic, and it was really neat to see how people live there. It's also it's neat to see how God is there, even though he's here, he's still everywhere. But the idea of go here is to live about your life. It was meant to be a statement to say, hey, don't just stay here and wait for my return. Go live your life. Go do things. Go be a part of things. Carry out the things that you need to do about your life. And he's saying, go, go. And that's what we need to do is go about our life. It says, therefore, go. We need to be going and doing things in our life. And then also it says, and make disciples of all nations. So I'm going to look at make first. And I, my wife makes really good brownies. She does a really good job of making brownies. She's, she's known by, the, by several families that she makes good brownies. But these don't just appear, do they? When you make something... You actually have to get all the ingredients, right? It's not like all those ingredients are just in the cupboard. That's kind of what I thought, you know? It's just go make some brownies. 
<laughs> I don't say that, do I? I probably, I probably won't ever again. But anyhow, <laughs> but the idea of making something is it, it takes ingredients. Whether it's brownies or you're making something out of wood, it takes materials to make something, right? It's a process. And there's steps that you have to follow to actually make that a reality. It doesn't just happen on its own. And so when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's saying that I want you to go do a process of helping people, invest in people, and make a difference in people's lives. We need to make an investment in somebody's life, and there should be a a process to help that person grow in Christ. One of the things that I, I, you know, starting out early in my ministry is we had this ministry team called From This Moment On, and it was me and a couple of my best friends who are also ministers, and we got together as college students, probably around 20 years old, and we would go out and do dramas and, and do events and things like that. Well, we would see people come to Christ, and it was really cool. It was like, wow, this is awesome. We're seeing people come to Christ. But later on, I started realizing I'm missing something. This is cool, but this is not all I want to see happen. And what happened was the fact that I realized that there was more to it, and I was missing out. I didn't get to see this person grow from being a, a baby Christian and growing to maturity and really living out their faith in adulthood as a Christian. And there's more to it. In other words, we should not just want to see people come to know Christ, which is very important, but we should also want to invest in someone's life to help them grow so they're going to be a Christian for years and years and years, all their life, eternity, right? But also during that process that they grow, they're investing in other people. They're making a difference in others that they will continue to spread this gospel and let people know about Jesus. But they will develop them. So let's look at that word make as a, as a process of you taking someone and you spending time with that person and helping them grow in their faith with Christ rather than just saying, hey, hey, here you've accepted Christ, here's a Bible, now good luck, right? We should have a heart about us to develop that person, help them grow so they can become stronger in Jesus. And it says of all nations. Now, Sometimes, I mean, I think it literally means to share the gospel like we talk about in missions and in reaching people throughout the world. But I want you to understand, I think this speaks to a greater context of reaching those around you. And it doesn't matter what, what background, what I think he's trying to get across, Jesus is trying to say, this is not exclusive. The gospel is not exclusive to a certain kind of people. It's not just the Jews that receive the the knowledge of salvation. It's not just this group of people. It's not just that group of people. All nations, whatever background they have, can be reached through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means that anybody that's in my, in, in my working environment, no matter what background, not, no matter what ethnicity, well, I knew I was going to have a problem with that word. I could say it when I'm down there, but when I get up here, it's a little bit harder. I don't know why. Satan doesn't want me to say that word. Maybe you can say it for me. But anyhow, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the thing of it is, is that we can make a difference in people's lives. We can invest in people. No matter where they're from, no matter what background they have, all nations, all people deserve to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they deserve the opportunity to be invested in. 
They deserve the opportunity to be taught and led and helped and encouraged to grow in their faith. And we should be willing to commit ourselves to make that happen, to develop that person, to encourage that person to grow in Christ. As we continue on, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the baptizing part is very important because they are to identify themselves as being a follower of Jesus Christ. They're identifying themselves by being baptized that they are walking with Jesus. They were walking with God. That they understand there's Jesus, there's God, and the Holy Spirit that they need to look to to guide and direct their life. And so as a, as a disciple maker, we need to help people identify their lives are meant to be lived for Christ. That your life is not your own now. As, a, as it's a great representation, right? Baptism is a great representation of this because when you go in the water, you're dying to yourself. You're saying, I'm dead now. So in the water, it represents what's happening spiritually. It represents what's happened to you as, you, as, you, as you've given your life to Christ. It represents what's happened to you, that you're dead now. And now as you come out of the water, now you're a new creation. You're a new person in Christ. It's that representation that you're identifying with Jesus. And you're a follower of Christ now. And it says also, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We are to teach. We are all teachers. Don't feel like you don't, and, and this, this, I want to encourage you. We don't have to be, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm probably not the best fantastic teacher of all time, you know. It doesn't have to be. There's things that you've learned that God's taught you in your life journey, and you need to pass that on to others. You need to teach others of what it's like to be a follower, and then this is what we'll talk about here in a second. We are called to follow Jesus, right? So basically what I'm doing, I'm following Jesus. Now I'm getting the guy behind me to say, hey, 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 come this way. I'll show you what Jesus has taught me. I'll show you what God has, has, has done in my life. It doesn't mean they'll be just like you. It doesn't mean that they'll be like you at all. But hopefully they'll look to Jesus and follow him. Hopefully, by the end of it, the discipleship, they will go pursue greater things for Jesus than maybe you have. Because you've made a disciple for Christ. It says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he says some encouragement to all of us. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, God doesn't leave us by ourselves. He sends his Holy Spirit to be there for us. So it's not just me doing this discipleship thing. It's not just me feeling like I got to disciple these people and I got to teach them how to live for Jesus. No, God's Spirit and God himself is working in the situation. He's working in my life to, as I, as I try to invest in somebody, he's given me the wisdom and the discernment through his Holy Spirit to help build that person up and strengthen that person. So what does discipleship mean? That's the question I want. And this is going to be a little bit different message today because I want you to think about what it is to be a disciple maker. So what does discipleship really mean? It's like an apprenticeship 
for followers of Jesus. It's like me taking someone and just trying to show them the ropes, helping them, encouraging them to grow in Christ. As we look at apprenticeship and the definition of apprenticeship, this is what it says. A person who works for another in order to learn a trade. A person legally bound through an indenture to master craftsmen in order to learn a trade, a learner. So this is about somebody that, that wants to grow, and you're taking this person and investing him to help him grow to learn how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're helping them grow in their faith. You're taking someone along and helping them grow in Jesus Christ. And it's a commitment. I want us to think about a little bit more about not just being a one-time thing. It's a commitment that I see this person on a regular basis or I want to help develop this person, so I'm going to be intentional about spending time with them to help them grow. Not just a one-time thing. How can God use me? It's one of the questions a lot of us ask, right? Well, how could God use me to do it? As I mentioned before, the first thing is to remember, remember that you're a follower of Jesus. In Matthew 16, verse 24, it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Discipleship is a commitment, and it's a willingness to put yourself out there. And next week we'll talk a little bit more about it, but it's about being vulnerable. Allowing people to see what your life is like. You think about Jesus. He, he was pressed on all kinds of different sides. Yes, he was perfect, but you know, he still had haters. He still had people that didn't believe in him, that would question him. And you know what? He was okay with that. He was vulnerable to allow people to see him, even if it wasn't the perfect setting for them to learn. And oftentimes, it's not the perfect setting that people learn the most. It's when times are difficult or hard and they see how you overcome things or how you deal with things or difficulties that you face. That's when people sometimes learn the most. Seeing how you deal with the situations that you face in life. Next thing is, is to keep in mind the biggest thing is to love God and love others. On the story of the, great, uh, the Samaritan story, Luke chapter 10, verse 36, it says this. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus loved him, or told him, go and do likewise. One of the things I think about with the Samaritan story is, again, this person was beaten, this person was robbed, left for dead, he was along the road, and this, this Samaritan just goes through this road and sees him, and he's on his path. How many people is God putting in our path that we can minister to or develop or encourage and help them grow in their faith? With the story of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan just had compassion, mercy, and love for this human being. He didn't see this person as being somebody that, that may hate him or despise him for being a Samaritan, a half-breed. He looked at this person in need. And he loved the person. He cared for that person. 
and he was a neighbor to that person. How many people are in our path that we just need to love, just need to care for, just need to you know, make a commitment to make an impact in their life that we need to value, that we need to encourage, that we need to give opportunity to? Next thing, the last, que- the last answer to that question really, how can God use me? And I mentioned it before, but here's another example. Uh, allow the Holy Spirit to teach and remind you. Again, when I do ministry, you know, and as I look in the crowd, there's a few of, of people that I've had as my teens and youth groups. And I consider you probably one of my disciples. I mean, I wouldn't consider, I, you are one of my disciples. As you think about that, it's not, it's not me that's just doing that. Even though I, I'm excited for that and I want that because of God, but it's the Holy Spirit that's doing that. It's God working in each one of us as we allow him to. John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, the Holy Spirit is what can help us to teach us, to remind us. And so sometimes you may feel like, I don't know if I really want to invest. I'm so, so worried I'm going to mess things up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to <laughs> instead of them following Christ, they're going to go the other direction or something. That's just Satan trying to get you all scared and afraid to not do it. You know, God uses people all the time that you didn't think were supposed to be used. Look at all the disciples. They were a mixed bag, a bunch of people that were like, who would sign up for these people to, to be on anything? But God used them. And he developed them. And so the Holy Spirit can be there to give you that strength and that support to help you invest in others. It's not just you. It's God working through you. And so he's going to help you to remind you, to help you to see things as you listen, as you follow Christ. He's going to help you know how to approach things with somebody. He's going to help you to know how to invest in that person and encourage them in their walk. Paul says this. This is a big thing for us. This is a thing that we should keep in mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 4, it says this, For what I have received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So he's saying, I'm telling you what I know, and I'm sharing it with you. I'm passing it on. And that's what we should do as investors or disciple makers is putting that inside people's hearts. Taking what we've learned and sharing it with other people. How do I choose somebody? This is a really good question. How do I choose somebody to be a disciple? How do I know? How do, I, how do you know if that person's supposed to be somebody you invest in? Well, the first question I'd ask is, who's around you? Who are you around? Now, I know sometimes my wife says, sometimes you, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. You don't know what I'm going to say, so you don't know if I, huh? Maybe not. Maybe not? Okay, I won't say it. Aren't you dying to know now? I mean, they really want to know. 
I don't hate, I hate to keep it from him. Well, it's all right. You guys will be all right. But the thing of it is, you can't, you can't separate yourself and go somewhere and live in, in a place that, that doesn't have people. God doesn't want us just to be remote and not live with people because we are called to disciple people. We're called to invest in people's lives. And you, who's around you? Who's, who's spending time with you? Where do you work? Where do you go play? Who's with you? That's, some of those are your disciples. You probably don't even know it. Maybe you do. Hopefully you do. But God has those people around you for a reason, even the annoying ones. I've had some annoying teenagers in my youth groups before. Those were not my disciples. Those were my disciples. God was calling me to minister to them. Not many, but I'm saying there's sometimes a few. You're like, man, this kid is just so annoying. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I, I got to be honest. There were a few times. <laughs> but those people around you are around you for a reason. They're around you for a purpose. And what are we doing? Sometimes we're looking for this perfect person we're going to mentor or develop. No, it's the, it's the icky people that we can't stand sometimes or we don't see the value in maybe. Hopefully we do. It's, it's those that, that are around us that need us, and we need to invest in them. Another question is, uh, I think that you should look at is, who needs help? Who, who's, who's there that's, that's kind of downcast or, or feeling discouraged or, or, or is, is, is going through things in life? Who, who's that person that doesn't seem like, has a lot of questions? It doesn't mean they have to, they don't even have to be a believer, but it's just somebody that just seems like they're not, they're not happy with life and they're looking for something. Who needs help in your life? Maybe that's one of your disciples. Maybe that could be somebody that you can invest in and help them grow and develop them for Christ. And then the last question here, and I think about this and we'll share this, read this scripture here in a second, but do they respond to an invitation? You know, if you say, hey, I'm going to go do this. I remember um, one teenage that I had in youth group, there was an opportunity for, for us to do uh, the spotlight at a concert. It was a new song at North Park for Baptist, and they were looking for help. And I said, hey, you want to hey, come with me when they need people to run spotlight? He said, yeah, I'll go. I didn't even, he wasn't even a strong believer at the time, but he was just excited to be a part of something. That was one of my disciples. There's people around you that you can invite to be a part of your world, part of your life, and you can invest in them, and you can encourage them. Matthew 19, verse 21, it says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, this was the rich young ruler, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will receive treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And so one of the things that we think about is this, is that, the idea that, that Jesus had, we, or we don't think about this, is that the idea that Jesus invited people and people said no. I think sometimes we're worried that people are going to reject us, right? Jesus was rejected. Jesus made invitations to people throughout Scripture that he said, hey, come follow me. And they just walked the other way. Um, I, I'm waiting for my father-in-law to, to pass away. And, and Jesus said, let the, bed, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. 
invitations were given. And, and I only tell you that it's okay to give an invitation and be rejected. But just make sure you're inviting people in to be around you, to see how you live your life for Christ, to see how you walk with the Lord. How long should you disciple someone? John chapter 14, verse six through nine, it says this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you, would, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know me and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know, Philip, that even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus spent three years with his disciples. Think about that now. He spent three years developing the 12. Do you also realize and, and think about this, that Jesus wasn't in it to make a name for himself? What was he doing? He was making a name for his father. He was here to glorify his heavenly father. He wasn't saying, hey, I got this book I wrote and I want you to read it. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't read any of the, the, the Bible. Right? I mean, God did, but the Holy Spirit worked in people's hearts to write it, but Jesus didn't write it himself, right? He didn't have a number one book bestseller. And, you know, he wasn't on the, the Jerusalem press. He wasn't on the local uh, Tel Aviv TV station. Of course, Tel Aviv, well, never mind. He <laughs> wasn't even around then. But anyhow, the thing of it is, is that Jesus wasn't in the business of saying, look at me, I'm Jesus, and you need to follow me. He was looking for people that wanted to hear the message that he came here to share, that God had sent him on a mission to deliver them, right? But the whole idea wasn't to make a name for himself. His disciples, Christianity and Christ was talked about after his death more because it was about him then, but not while he was alive. He was more concerned about developing people and letting him carry his message on. He was more concerned about investing in those that he had. And then after his time here on earth, they would carry his message forward. And we talked about it in Sunday school class a little bit today. And I, it was just kind of neat revelation in my mind that, that Jesus was, was, was killed and you know, all these disciples were martyred, and then Paul is martyred, and it doesn't stop this gospel message from going on. The message is bigger than anything else. Jesus' message. So why do I come to one to three years? Because I think it should be an investment. It should be a commitment that we make. Billy Graham says this, salvation is free, but discipleship costs us everything we have. And so discipleship is an investment. It's something that we need, to, we need to do, but it's going to cost us some things. It's going to cost some of our time. Another story I'll share with you is just this story about being too busy. A seminary professor had a class of 15 students who were preparing for Christ, uh, Christian ministry. At the beginning of one of those classes, he distributed envelopes to those students within sealed instructions. Five students received instructions to proceed across the campus without delay. 
The directions read, you have 15 minutes to reach your destination. You have no time to spare. Don't loiter or do anything else or your grade will be docked. The next five students also received instructions to make their way across campus, but they were given 45 minutes to do so. You have plenty of time. Their directions read, but don't be too slow. The last five students received instructions to get to the other side of campus anytime before five o'clock, giving them about five hours to complete the assignment. What the students didn't know was that the professor had arranged for several drama student majors from a nearby university to position themselves along the path that led across campus. The drama students were instructed to act as though they were suffering and in great need. One pretended to be a homeless person and in need of food or clothing. Another sat with his head in his hands crying as if he had experienced some terrible tragedy. Still another acted as if he was in desperate need of medical care. You can imagine what happened as the Christian ministry students tried to complete their assignment. None of the students in the first group stopped at all uh, to help any of those that were in need. Only two students in the group, uh, in the second group did, but all five students in the third group took time and stopped and helped. The reason why I share this story is because the main excuse that we have in helping people and developing people for Christ is because I'm too busy. I'm too busy. We need to stop worrying so much about what the world stuff is and start worrying more about what godly things we should be doing. Because you know what? The worldly things are just going to fade. But every life I've mentored, every life that I've invested in, every life that I've touched through the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life that will carry on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. When you make an investment in somebody, you're making an eternal impact in their life. And not only in theirs, not only in theirs. Your tree is bigger and bigger and bigger and the branches go further and further than you can imagine. When you make an investment in one, that carries weight into others. Look at how Jesus, if we follow the model of Jesus, we are here today because 12 or 11 disciples carried the message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. They started it, and we are a result of it because of what they did. And so your tree can grow. Your branches, the difference that you make can impact all of eternity. So my challenge to us is this. Don't worry so much about what the world, worldly things you have to worry about. Worry more about the eternal difference that you can make in this life. And realize it is a commitment. I don't want to just share about, hey, come to church and invite somebody to church, and they come to church, and then I'm like, oh, here's your Bible. Here, here's, you've accepted Jesus. Good job. Now go. I want that person to accept Jesus, and then give them a Bible, and then also be there to say, hey, do you understand what you're learning? Is there any challenges you're facing right now? I want to give you opportunity to grow. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's been many students, I know there is, that have, have learned to teach, Learn to lead things, be given opportunities to do things they didn't think they could do themselves, do dramas. 
But along the way, they were learning how to live for Jesus mostly. And that was the more important thing, was to live for Jesus Christ. The last little story I want to share, and I probably won't read the whole thing, but I want to share this story about this kid named Daniel. If you saw Daniel Huffman at the local McDonald's, you'd never realize what an outstanding and unusual young man he, he was. When he was 17 years old, he stood six foot, two inches tall, weighed 275 pounds, and football meant the world to him. He was a defensive lineman for his high school football team at Roosevelt until his senior year. In July of that year, Daniel decided to skip his senior year of football to give his ailing grandmother one of his kidneys. That's right, a kid who loved football set it aside to give life to another. People who knew Daniel would tell you he was just that kind of kid. He was on the honor roll, member of the student choir or class choir, writer of poetry, co-captain of the football team, and he's also the screamer, the one-man pep rally. He'd get people charged up and excited. Yet he had no design of stardom, no desire of that. Daniel once told his teammates, stars running back, it would be my pleasure to block for you. That's how Daniel lived. He really believed it was a privilege to help others. He loved to sit, set the stage for others, good and blessings that they would receive. So it wasn't out of character for him to give one of his kidneys to his diabetic grandmother who had raised him since he was in eighth grade. High school students are great. They can do wonderful deeds of kindness in the world and their hearts can be a strong, the size of Texas. Here's what great, uh, what's great about Daniel's case. Even though he had to quit football, the football team, the team didn't want to quit on him. As he recovered from surgery, the team insisted he wear his jersey each Friday and he ride on the seniors' parade float for the homecoming. And that he would make the speech at the pep rally before the game. On Friday nights, people at the games could hear his voice all over the field. Come on, everybody. He's about to shout for his team. One Sports Illustrated writer said that it's funny how someone who wasn't even playing could be the toughest kid on the team. Doctors said he'd recover from his operation and his kidney would be soon twice the size it used to be. Knowing this, the writer said, they may be able to measure the size of his kidney, but they will still, they still haven't figured out to measure his heart. When you give your life to Christ and you think about how you can make an investment in other people's lives, you're giving life to them. You're giving life to them. God may not ask you to give a kidney, but God is asking you to give some of your life, to spend time to invest in others to make a difference. His story goes on from there. That Bobby Bowden heard about his story. He knew he was a Florida State Seminole fan, and he invited him to work on his team to help out with the, the team and everything during his school years. Daniel cherishes those moments that he could interact and be a part of the team. I want to tell you that so many times we can think about ourselves, but there's so many times when we think about others, 
Good things can happen for us. Your life matters. Your life is a chance and opportunity for someone to see that they have value. That's why I love Night to Shine. It's an opportunity for us to show people that they're valuable, that God loves them, and that God can use them. And you can make an investment in someone today. We'll continue this conversation next week, but the thing I wanna ask you, the last question here is, who's on your list? As we finish out the series next week, I want you to be praying about, thinking about who was names that you would write down. And we'll go through some steps of, of how to do that. What, what's the process? What, what are some things? What are some steps? Now, there could be more added to this, but I'm going to list, list four steps to think about investing in others next week. But I want you to start thinking about praying about who is on my list? Who are some names? Who are some people around me that I can invest in? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. And I just thank you for loving us and caring for us. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to be used by you to encourage and help develop others. I know I'm not perfect at it. I know there's things that I always would look back and think about how I could do it differently. But I thank you so much that you've given me a chance and opportunity to work with so many great and amazing people, to see them have opportunity, to see them learn, to see them grow in you. And Lord, I want to continue that growth. I want to continue to see people grow in you. And I want my life to be about investing in people. So help me, Lord, to, to make that a priority. We can all get busy. I get busy, even in ministry. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that I can invest in others. Help us to look and think about who are our disciples, who are we investing in. And as we talk about this more next week, that we'll, we'll think about ways or, or be intentional about this process. In your wonderful name, I pray, Jesus. Amen.